Welcome to the Heme Consult Podcast, a weekly inspiration infusion for women of color and hematology. Dear woman of color and hematology, Heme Consults is your personal space to rest, recharge, and renew your spirit with a weekly infusion of inspiration from hematologist Dr. Toyasi Anwemena. Every Sunday, Dr. Anwemena will remind you that you are a superstar and have everything you need to succeed in your incredible career as a hematologist. Welcome to the Hematology Sisterhood that will transform your world. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. I am Tiosi Anwemena, your host. I'm a hematologist and defender of the faithful. I want to thank you for tuning in today, and I also want to thank you for reaching out to me and letting me know how the podcast is helpful to you and asking me questions which allow me to think about what episodes to record. And I want to say that every time you reach out with a question or story, it's helpful to me because it helps me think about the things that are on your mind that would be helpful to record an episode about. And today's episode is directly related to that. And it's about some of the activities that we are asked to do that really don't serve us. And so this is why the episode today is titled Academic Medicine is Not Your Home. (laughs) I'm excited to talk about it today. Before I start, though, I do want to tell you that um, and you'll you'll get a sense of it more at the end of the episode. But academic medicine is really not your home. I'll tell you why at the end. But I want to let you know that it's really important on this journey that you have a team that helps you win. And I am a big proponent of coaching. That's why I became a coach. I coach women of color and hematology exclusively. I want them to win. And really, if you're going to win in this arena, you need a team. And so I want to just start off by saying that if you are looking for a coach to be part of your winning team, I'm here for you. Send me a DM. Let's set up a coaching consulting call and see if this is the right fit. Okay. Our theme scripture today is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And before we get started on this episode, I really want to encourage you, a woman of color in hematology, that you should trust your feelings. Every time you get that icky feeling deep in your belly, trust that feeling. Every time you get the tightness in your chest, trust that feeling. Every time there is a pause where you're like, um, there seems to be a disconnect here. I want you to trust that feeling. One of the most important tools you have to win in this space of academic medicine or wherever you find yourself is your ability to listen to what your inner voice is telling you. If you are looking for what is truth, your inner voice is telling you the truth. And sometimes you trust more what you see than what you hear your inner self tell you. I'm here to let you know that it is so important that you hone your ability to listen to your inner voice. And part of the challenge that comes for women of color in academic medicine is that the voices outside are saying something different from the inner voice. And when we look around 
and we count up the votes. And it's like, well, there are 70 votes against my one inner voice. I want to tell you that your experience in academic medicine is not a democratic experience because in general, you tend to be in the minority. For that reason, you are likely not to be represented in the interests of the majority. When you go to check in about what you should do, what opportunities you should take, you need to trust your inner voice. The challenge for many of us is that our inner voice has been silenced, it's been discredited, or it's been disconnected. And a lot of the work you will do through coaching is to open up the channels again, clear them all out so that you can hear very clearly. That's my encouragement to you today, that your inner voice is real. It has the truth. It is not mistaken. It knows exactly what it's talking about. And when you feel like, hmm, was that honest? You should trust that feeling. When you feel like, hmm, I'm not sure this is in my best interest. You should trust that feeling. When you're like, but this is my mentor and they care about me. You should trust the feeling. And I want to encourage you to do whatever it takes to exercise the muscle to hear very clearly what your inner voice is telling you. Okay, women of color in hematology. <laughs> Let's get started with today's episode. Okay, so I'm calling it Academic Medicine is Not Your Home. I think this is really important. And the story I want to share comes from really not too long ago in my academic career, probably two to three years ago, where I had a conversation with one of my mentors, and I really strongly considered this person a mentor. And, you know, I, I assumed mentoring means caring. <laughs> if you're my mentor, you care about me. I think that was just an assumption I made, and I didn't necessarily check those assumptions. But this mentor person recommended I take on a leadership role. and there was a check in my spirit. Like I had this inner witness of like, mm, I'm not sure this is the right role for me. And when I asked about it, they were like, this role is going to be really important for your career. This is really going to help you advance. This is going to help you do all the things. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm here to advance. So this sounds then like a really good recommendation. And I ignored the way I was feeling about it. And I went on and took on the role because, of course, I want to be well-known and I want to do all the things that help me move forward in the academy. Okay, so over the course of fulfilling this role, actually, you know, I, I just want to get to the end of the story and tell you it was a disaster. I'm just going to tell you up front, it was a disaster. Okay. But specifically, I had a vision for the role and I was in the process of fulfilling my vision. I had a thought about how we would expand the service, things we would do, and I really had a, you know, a plan and I was executing my plan and really empowering people in my space. And then the pandemic hit and we ran into trouble with staffing shortages and all of a sudden there was more work to do than people to do it. And so I started getting suggestions from people around me as to how I needed to change in my role. So one of those suggestions was that okay, from now on, you need to be the person who answers every call at night regarding whether our resources are needed or not. 
And that meant that I was actually on call literally every day. And now, it didn't mean that I was being called every day, but it did mean that I was on call. If you know anything about me, (laughs) I hate call. I hate it. It's one of the things in medicine that I hate. I hate to be interrupted while I'm sleeping. Actually, I don't mind being interrupted if it's important. But many of the reasons I was getting woken up for in the middle of the night didn't feel important enough to me. So in general, I hate to be woken up at night. So I was now doing the thing I hated and struggling with doing it. So anyway, it was recommended to me. I'm the person who's on call. Even though people are not calling me every night, I get very stressed because I don't want to miss the pager. I don't want something important to happen. And somehow I was sleeping. So I don't sleep. I'm always waking up and checking the pager. And call is a source of anxiety for me. And that's really important. It's important because I I ignored the things that don't help me thrive. Just so that I could fulfill this requirement I was asked to to do because it was going to be good for my career. Okay, so inevitably, over a couple of months of not sleeping, it was beginning to show. I was less patient. I, I don't know, actually, if I was less patient, but I was tired for sure. And everything got to me more. You know, the flurry of microaggressions that tend to come from being in any leadership role got to me more. Snide comments got to me more. It just was getting harder and harder. And it literally was getting to the place where I had vacation coming up and I was just like literally counting down the days, hours, minutes to vacation because I was so worn out. Okay, so. I got back from my vacation and I got called into the proverbial principal's office. And one of the things that was shared with me was that my performance was really poor in this role. And I think that's where I'm actually going to end the story. (laughs) I know it's like, oh, no, there is more. Yes, there is more. But I think it's important just to say at the end of all of that was that, hey, your performance is poor. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So... (laughs) I laugh because there's just so much more to that story, but I think this is going to highlight the points that I want to make today. The first lesson I want to highlight is that whenever somebody makes a request of you, the request itself gives you information. Okay, I'm going to say that again. When somebody makes a request of you, the request itself gives you information. What do I mean by that? This is something that's well known for many women of color and women in general and especially women of color, many of the tasks that we are asked to do are tasks that do not necessarily move us forward academically. They're tasks that do not necessarily allow us to add lines to our CV. There are tasks that tend to take us away from the things that allow us to actually add lines to our CV. So every time somebody says, hey, there's this task that I'd like you to do, and it's a great task for you, it gives you more information about the person asking than any other information you've had before. So for example, in this specific story that I share about a mentor who asked me to take on a role, my mind is that, well, this person really cares about me and cares about my academic advancement and knows the rules for academic advancement. Therefore, their recommendation must be real. Their recommendation must be the recommendation I should take. But this person was asking me to take on a role That was going to derail my academic career. In general, (laughs) these roles that are not supported, that allow you to do more work that is not actually relevant to your academic growth, they are not tasks that help you win. 
they, they're not. And now I understand that. I didn't understand that before. Other people understood that. Like I would say, oh, I've taken on this new leadership role. And I would actually see people physically stiffen. <laughs> and then they would ask me, is this role supported? How much money do you get? What other things are coming to you for taking on this role? And I would say, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. But they said this role is good for me. And then, you know, people are just quiet because they're like, well, it's too late to tell her not to take the role. But what I realize now is that my trust of this person who honestly I thought should have been looking out for me, my trust of this person should be based in fact, not an imagination. And this is why I say academic medicine is not your home. Okay, if you grew up in a relatively healthy family where your mom and dad or, you know, whoever parent figure took care of you, where they loved you, you trusted them. And sometimes they asked you to do things that you didn't understand. And you're like, okay, I'll do this because I trust you. And I know you're looking out for me. Well, I need to let you know that academic medicine is not such a place. There's no mom and dad figure in academic medicine. I get it that people say mentors are like mom and dad figures, but I need to let you know that they are not your mom and they're not your dad. They're not your mom and they're not your dad. So important for you to know that. And so every request that you are asked to do, every request that's made of you needs to be taken and considered in light of the request alone rather than the requester. However, the request itself tells you a lot about the requester. For example, I've talked in a prior episode, episode 25, about explicit bias, and I talked about the issues surrounding how people see you in the academy and the boxes they think you should occupy. Some people struggle with you in the academy as an academic leader who is able to do all the things that academic people can do. For example, writing papers, you know, like getting grants, those kinds of things. And instead, they look around and they think, well, people like you might better fit in service roles rather than real leadership roles. So what I didn't recognize is I was asked to step into a pseudo leadership role. And a pseudo leadership role is a role in which you literally have no power to make any change, but you are the titled person in that role. If you come into a role that requires people to help execute the activities of the role, and you are sent into the role without that support, it essentially sets you up as the person who has to do all those tasks. So actually the role is not a leadership role, it's more a service role. You're just there to do stuff because the people who would otherwise do the work are not there. So whenever somebody asks you to step into a role that doesn't serve you, that doesn't expand you as a person, it tells you how that person sees you. For this reason, I would encourage you, <laughs> do not ever take on a role. Do not ever accept a task until you've had a chance to really evaluate the task. Oh my goodness, I'm getting into my action items, which is fine. But it's just really important information. Somebody says, hey, can you be the person in charge of doing the birthday party for the week? Okay, you're a physician, an academic physician in an academic medical center. There are 300 or even 4,000 people who could throw a birthday party. Why you? This is a really important question to ask. Do you require your academic medical degree to do this role? Mm, no. 
do you require your highly trained, highly functional, honed in analytic mind to do this role? Mm, No. Does it advance your promotion within the academic realm? Mm, No. Even when these kinds of requests come from the people who should love you, you need to consider each request carefully because the request itself is information. So when somebody recommended to me that I do the thing I hate the most, knowing that I hate it and saying, this is good for your career, I shouldn't take that at face value. I should ask the question, hmm, what does it tell me about someone who's asking me to do the thing that I actually hate to do? Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. Evaluate. Evaluate the request because it's giving you important information. The second lesson that I want to share is that the criteria against which you will be judged are clear. They are fixed. They are defined. They are written down. And if they're not written down, somebody has them in their head where it's like, this is what it takes to be a good performing doctor. Okay. I want to say among those is not throwing birthday parties, doing bone marrow biopsies, taking extra calls, being the person doing the friendship committee, you know, a whole host of roles that many people of color or a woman are asked to take on that actually don't serve them. Those are not the criteria by which people are judged. The criteria by which people are judged and harshly judged, I must say, in academic medicine are very fixed and very clear. And so anytime you are asked to do something that falls outside of those things, I want to say you just need to pay attention to that. Because if the things that are asked of you take you away from the criteria by which you will be judged, you will still be judged by your basic criteria. You are still going to be judged no matter what you do. And so sometimes I see people, and to be honest, this was my experience too, where it's like, I did all of this, and then I helped them do that, and then I was the person who did this. I sacrificed blood, sweat, and tears for this department. Oh, yes, you did. But the criteria by which you will be judged are fixed, whether you are bleeding as you're working or not. And this is so important. At the end of the day, I was called and told that my performance was poor. Nobody said, how much sleep have you gotten? How can we support you to take call? Why are you the one taking call all the time? How can we share your workload? Nobody asked me any of those questions. They said, we've reviewed you and you suck. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. And this is the story. That happens to many of us where we think we're helping because the requester is someone that we feel like we should know, like, and trust. And we're like, well, if they're asking us, it must be good. And I have to tell you that anything, anything you do in academic medicine that does not help you enhance the criteria by which you should be judged, by which you're going to be judged and judged harshly, usually compared to everybody else should be considered suspect. I'm not saying you should do it or don't do it. Do whatever you want. But I need you to recognize that you don't get a pass because you're doing all these other tasks. 
so consider carefully whether these tasks should be done. Okay. Lesson number three is that people pleasing is always a losing strategy. It's a lose-lose. They lose and you lose. So why did I take on this particular role? I was trying to make somebody happy. I thought this is my mentor. They have helped me. They've written me letters of recommendation. They've recommended me for things. This person is the person I really want them to be happy because if they're not happy, I don't know if I can be happy. And I took on a role to make somebody else happy, even though deep inside me, I felt like, oh, I probably shouldn't be doing this. Okay. And then I entered into the role and I left the work of execution that I had in my vision to make somebody happy who recommended that I take call every day. Okay. And then at the end, people call me and say, oh, you're performing poorly. This is a theme in general. And this happens pretty often, which is why it's so important for me to share it with you, is that every time you make decisions based on what other people are saying, every time you make a decision based on what other people are saying, you are likely to lose and they are likely to lose as well. You're likely to lose because for the most part, it's not what you want to do. It probably goes against the things you want to do. It probably puts you in a place of stress. It doesn't allow you to fulfill criteria. You lose in that way because you're sinning against yourself. And then they lose because to be honest, whether they like it or not, you have a job to do. Now, all of a sudden, the job by which you are actually measured, the things that only really you can do in your role are still there and they still have to evaluate you by it. And if you can't do it, then in a sense, you failed in the role. So where I was taking call every night, I was just exhausted and tired. I couldn't do that job well. And so even if they didn't really necessarily, I don't know, for whatever reason, hope I would succeed in the role, it was still a role that I was supposed to do. And my being in the role meant somebody else was not in that role. And so I didn't succeed in the role and it wasn't what I wanted to do. So people pleasing is a lose-lose strategy. They lose and you lose. And so sometimes we make these decisions because we're like, I don't want them to be mad. And then at the end, they are mad. <laughs> and you are mad. And so in that moment of temporary gratification of like, okay, I said yes, and now they're happy with me. In the long run, they're not happy and you're not happy. And so this is hard because, you know, throughout our training, in medical school, people-pleasing tends to win you points. In general, the metrics for winning in medical school are clear. Four years, they want you to graduate. Maybe you took a year or two more. But the metrics are clear by which you're judged. Okay. And you move on to residency, the metrics are clear. So in general, when people ask you to do things, they are asking you to do things, in general, along the lines of getting you to graduation. You get to an academic faculty position, for the most part, yeah, there's no real, like, clear trajectory. There's a series of metrics. They're very clear, but there's a lot of leeway around what you could be doing. So it can get really confusing. And where in residency, your program director, who's your main person, has a vested interest in you winning and getting out of the program successfully, there is not necessarily a vested interest in the people who surround you in your academic career. Anyway, so I say all that to just say that if your strategy to win is pleasing people and it's served you throughout your training, 
It will not serve you long term. To be honest, it probably didn't serve you well in your training, and it definitely doesn't serve you in the academic career. So whatever you need to do to break the chains of people pleasing as your primary strategy, you need to do it. I did it with the help of a coach. I recommend that you consider a coach. And if you don't have a coach, you should ask me and I would gladly be your coach if it makes sense for the both of us. Okay. What are my calls to action? (laughs) Number one, evaluate every request. Doesn't matter who it comes from. It was from the Pope and they really love you and they're the closest to God. Doesn't matter. Evaluate every request. Yes, this person was good to me last year. Oh my goodness. They were the ones who recommended me for this amazing opportunity and I don't want to make them unhappy. It doesn't matter. Evaluate every request. Every request. Every single one of them is a request that should be evaluated. Doesn't matter what this person did for you in the past. Doesn't matter what they're going to do for you in the future. Evaluate every request. Okay, here are the things I think you should think about in terms of evaluating the request. Number one, does it require my unique capabilities as an academic physician? Okay, and say that again. Does it require my unique capabilities as an academic physician? Does it require my 10 years of training to accomplish? Does it align with the criteria by which I will be judged? Okay, you got to ask those questions. Yeah, did you notice that within those criteria, I did not say, will this person hate me if I don't take this job or not? Okay. It's so important that we evaluate every request because we can't tell the mind of the person who's requesting. In general, I think if you look at the request and it's like, oh, you know, one of our staff members could throw this party. Doesn't require a four-year degree. Doesn't require a 10-year course of training. Is this the role for me? Hmm. (laughs) Why did you recommend it to me? You should ask that question. Anyway, but we're not there right now. We're just saying evaluate every request. And I'm just saying you need an evaluation team if you can't do it yourself. And for the most part, I tell you that people pleasing is part of our training. And so for anyone who's going to win in making decisions based on objective criteria rather than people pleasing, you need to break some of those chains of people pleasing that have been built up over time. Okay, so evaluate every request. The second thing is you got to get clear on who is there to help you win. You do. And these default assumptions we make that, oh, our mentors are there to help us, or our division directors are there to help us, or our chairs of our departments are there to help us, is not a fair assumption to make. And, and I want to say this carefully, because in general, I don't think people come at you wishing you ill will. I don't think people are out to get you. And I hope you don't have that sense about what I'm saying. I think what I'm saying is that what you are capable of and what other people think you're capable of sometimes is different. And sometimes there's actually a big chasm between what they think you're capable of and what you know you're capable of. Sometimes there's a wide gap. And so sometimes they look at you and they're like, oh, I don't think she can succeed in this other huge role. Why don't we give her this other role, which, you know, is okay. And, you know, it's probably to her capabilities as well. And I have to tell you at the end of this thing, when I was called and told that I had poor performance, one of the things that I was told, it was said in the third person, some people are not good at leadership. I recognize that it was being said to me. So someone who thinks you're not good at leadership 
is really not going to put you in a leadership role that's go- that, that's going to challenge you and help you really grow. They don't think you're good at it. So they're like, well, I don't think she's going to win. Either they're going to put you in a role that's going to prove them right. People don't like to be wrong. Or they're going to put you in the role where you can do no wrong. It's like, if I don't think she can succeed, why don't I put her in the role where she'll be okay no matter what she does. If she fails, nobody cares. It's either that or they're like, well, let's show her that she really can't win. Let's put her in the role. It's going to show her that she's no good at this. And so that's really important because, you know, again, I want to say it's not that people are malicious and intent. It's just that they size you up and they're like, well, I don't see people like you in leadership in this way. But I, I see people like you in the service kind of role. So why don't I give you the service kind of role so that, you know, you have something to win at. And as you get clear on who's there to help you win, you got to get clear on how you came to win. Like, why'd you come? Why are you here? What did you come to win at? And some of us don't know. We're just here because it's the next step. This is why you need a team. You need a coach to help sit down with you and be like, what does winning look like to you? Today, five years from now, 10 years from now, at the end of your career, your whole career needs to be intentionally planned. So not that you can plan the next 10, 15, 20 years of your life specifically, but you do need to be intentional about the steps you take and how they're leading you to where you want to go. And not having that kind of direction is confusing because then you take on roles that don't help you get there because you assume that everybody is trying to help you win. But if you have not defined for yourself what that win looks like, it is likely that many of the things that you're being asked to do may not help you win and not because people are trying necessarily to pull you down, although that sometimes does happen. But if it's not defined how you win, you're not likely to know when you're taking on activities that don't help you win. Okay, so get clear on who's there to help you win and get clear on how you win so you know who's helping you. So when you look at your criteria, your list of criteria for how you win, and then somebody comes and says, hey, can you come do something? And you look at, you look at it against your criteria of how you win and you're like, hmm, this doesn't fit. Are you for me or against me here? Okay. All right. So just be clear. And at the end of the day, have a team that knows how you want to win and helps you win. The third thing I want to invite you to do is to exercise your no muscle. Our no muscle has been so weakened throughout our training. As medical students, as residents, as fellows, our no muscle is so weak. And it was okay. Actually, it's never been okay. But it was okay maybe in residency because in general, you were being evaluated really strictly against that criteria and you wanted to make sure everybody evaluating you liked you. Okay, we'll give you a pass for residency. We'll give you a pass for a fellowship. Actually, I won't give you a pass for fellowship. But wherever, wherever you succeeded in the past by making people happy only works. When making people happy also aligns with what makes you happy. (laughs) And so in general, especially as you move into a faculty career, and even in your transition to your faculty career as a fellow, no is so powerful, so important, so clarifying. You've got to be able to say it well. But I tell you that no as a word is difficult to say unless you're two years old. No is difficult and it actually takes strategy. It takes wisdom. Sometimes it takes a few days to say no. But you've got to exercise your no muscle. And I will promise you, 
that if you had your experience in a residency fellowship program that was worth its salt, you're no muscle is weak and you need help strengthening that. And for me, working with a coach helped me do that. And that's why now as a coach, I help people do that. I help people strengthen their no muscles. And this is not the kind of thing you're like, oh yeah, I had two sessions. My no muscle is now strong. No muscles need to be exercised. And when no muscles are not getting the exercise they need, the no muscle becomes really flabby. (laughs) So this is work you're going to be doing long term. The no muscle is a muscle you're going to be exercising for a long time. You can do it by yourself or you can get a personal trainer. (laughs) And having a coach to help you work through that is like having a personal trainer. I love the sessions I have with my coach where we talk about what made you decide that? What are the implications of this decision? And these are the questions that you need to stop and answer, which allows you to break through the ding, 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 ding. I really want to make them happy. Ding, 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 ding. But what if this costs me my job? Ding, 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 ding. If I say no, they'll be mad. Ding, 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 ding. They won't write me that letter. (laughs) Because part of that work is saying, hmm, are all these fears true? Are all these assumptions serving you? How can you clarify these assumptions? These are some of the questions that you have to answer in getting to exercising your no muscle. And I invite you to do the work to do that. All right. I want to invite you, if there's someone else who needs to hear that academic medicine is not your home, please let them know that it's not their home. They don't get to treat it like a place where mom and dad is there to support them because not a place where mom and dad exist. And please share it and leave us a review as well so that other people can find us. All right. I want to end by saying, woman of color in hematology, your intuition is correct. And please follow it. And if for whatever reason, your intuition, your inner voice is deadened, take the steps that are needed to awaken it. And I invite you this week, this week, to practice listening, to get clear to create the space in the midst of your busy schedule to listen in to what you are really feeling and make sure you connect the dots to make sure that you honor yourself and your feelings in every decision that you make. All right, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.